Long live the king. Um, happy to be here with you tonight. And, uh, you know, uh, God is good. His mercy endures forever. Uh, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord been good? Hey, done all the things that he said he would. Hasn't the Lord been good? You know, I, I just... God takes care of his people. He's there for his people. He does not leave nor forsake his people. And um, he's a faithful God. Many say, I tried God and it didn't work. Hmm. You don't try God. You can't try God. There are many in the world, you know, playing in the mud. God's saying to them, I want to take you on a trip around the world. They say, I like mud better. Sin is fun. Mud is exciting. Yeah, it is. It's fun to make a couple mud pies, throw them at each other, and the fun's over. You're dirty. You're muddy. Get it cleaned up. That's how sin works, isn't it? In our lives, it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. You know. Sin comes, knock at your door, and you listen. It's going to mess you up. And uh, it's just been a blessing to walk with God. I've been walking with God for eight years. And, uh, you know, I've been going to retreats and camps for a long time. You know what I'm talking about? You go up on the mountain, you get all fired up for God, and then you come down and you lose it a couple weeks after. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it happens all the time. It's like that classic, cliche-ish, one of those things that happens in the church. And, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Probably every person who's been raised in the church has gone to some kind of camp or something in their life. You know, and they go up there and they get all excited. They come down and, and hey, things just change, which is a bummer. I've probably been to, I think, maybe 16 or 17 camps in my life. Maybe more, maybe 20, I don't know. But something somewhere around the 14th camp there, <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know how, well maybe I do, I kind of realized that camp uh, wasn't, it wasn't a time to get uh, fired up, um, it was actually a time to just take it to the next level in my life. Uh, not a time to get excited about God because I haven't been excited about God, no, it's like almost like, uh, take me to the next level in life, God. Show me. And that's what this last weekend has been once again for my life. As we were on the mountain, 250 or 60 of us, somewhere around there. And uh, seeking the face of God, crying out to him. And of course, hey, when the people of God cry out to God, what happens? Well, he shows up. When the people cry out to God, he shows up in a powerful way. And again, I used to go up to the mountain to get my life right with God. No longer do I retreat to the mountain to get things right. I retreat to the mountain to get to the next level in my life. And that's what it's about. And that's what our Christian walks have got to be about. It's not a roller coaster. It's not, hey, let me get high on God and then fall down 20 feet. Let me go on a retreat to get high again so I can get back to the same level I was before then go down again, and then try to climb back up. It ain't about that. It's actually about walking with God daily, just one step at a time. Today is one step. 
It's time to walk with God in advance. And if the enemy tries to snatch away from me, one step, even one step, I'm going to get it back. And that day, the secret to getting it back is repentance. That's simple. You repent and you run to God. I'm sure with all the 250 kids up there, the enemy has already tried to attack and steal away and take down. It's been uh, three days since we've been on the mountain. I know the enemy has tried to attack me and tear me down. So you know what I did? I just said I will repent to God instantly. Every time I got to do it. Because I'm not losing even one step, man. No, when that next camp comes around, give me another shot, man. Take me to the next level. That is what our walk is supposed to be like. A consistent climb towards the glory of God. The problem is, many Christians, when they fall, they don't get back up for like a week. They just sit in it. The enemy comes and says, you loser, man. You better get back to church to get things right with God. You better read your Bible so that you can get back on track because you're not on track now. Uh-uh. I don't want to hear any of that. I'm on track. I messed up and I repent and I turn towards God and I'm walking with him continually, all day, every day. Let, hey, let, let 1% of your day be sin. Let 99% be walking with God. Okay, you messed up. Everyone messes up. Get on your face, repent, start chasing after God with all your heart. That's the secret. Don't allow time to get between you and God ever in your life. You'll find yourself at the same place for a long time, won't you? Yeah. Get up, get excited, get messed up, and just stay there in that pit. Not me. I'm not losing even one step for the kingdom. Last night, we were at Tim's house. Me and Jay. And we're over at Tim's house. Who's Tim? Tim is from the Unification Church. Cult religion. And uh, I've been meeting with Tim, and we got to go and sit in his living room where 20 people live. And the parents of the, or the people who own the house are there. And his pastor's there. And guess what? We get to give a presentation called, Why Christianity? Yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. And you better believe it, man. We proclaim the truth loud and clear. And we will now go and meet with them tomorrow night as they will present to us why what they believe is true. And then we will compare and contrast. And it will be a very exciting time, which I'm... I just, I can't believe it. As me and Jay were rolling out there to Norco, up to the house, I said, Jay, look what we're doing, man. Look, we're going in twos, man, just like the disciples. I can read it just now. They, they left from Riverside and took the road of the 91 to Norco. And there they met Timothy and his group who were opposed to the gospel. And Joshua and Jason prayed for them and went in with power and authority and showed that presentation on a projector screen. It was great. I said, Jay, we're doing it, man. We're living for the kingdom. That's what it's about. It's about giving up our lives for this stuff. We've got to do this for the rest of our lives. No matter what we're doing, no matter where we're at, we've got to lay down our lives for the kingdom every day. So we're going from glory to greater glory, man. It's another step. And it was a blessing and it was wonderful. And I can't wait to get back tomorrow night as we will continue our session. Part two. See what God has in store.
I hope that you've come here tonight to grow. If you come here to get things right with God, then get them right and get moving. Christianity is not a game. Christianity is real life. And every day will be held accountable for, for what you've done. You'll be held accountable. When you stand before God, it will be held accounted. You answer for each day. And did you know that I have to answer for my days? Did you know that? And you have to answer for your days. And did you know that I can't answer for your days? Did you know that you can't walk up to God there in heaven and say, God, uh, you know, on that day, go ask Josh Thompson. Go ask Josh. He knows. You know, I came to Bible study every Tuesday night. I'm, I'm, you know, I try to do as best like. There will be no excuses. Everyone has their own walk with God. Everyone. Own individual walk. I wish I could live for my brothers. You know that? I wish I could store up and treasure, treasure in heaven for them. I wish I could take some of my portion and give it to them, but I can't. All I can do is be a cheerleader for you. Try to get you moving in the right direction. Be the coach. Come on, play your position. Do it right. Score a touchdown. But I can't do it for you. So family, I exhort you in the name of Jesus that you would come tonight with ears to hear. Amen? great work to do well we have something special tonight uh we have one of our dear sisters in the lord coming to share with us the word and a uh i guess kind of a story and some scripture and so bridge why don't you come on up she's going to yeah come on uh-huh prepare your hearts as bridget brings the word Hello? Okay. How's everyone doing? Good? All right. Um, actually, when Robert and Josh first asked me to come share, I was kind of hesitant. I don't do the speaking thing very well, but um, after praying about it and uh, praying about it, I realized we're all um, given our testimonies to share, and if we just keep our testimonies to ourselves and don't minister to anyone, then just kind of, you know, goes wasted. So I'm here to share my testimony. <laughs> okay. Um, but before I start, um, I just want to challenge each and every one of you. If there's someone in your life who's unsaved, someone you've been praying for, whether it's a family member or a friend or a coworker, just to really think about them while I share my story. I grew up in a house where we went to church every Sunday. I wouldn't say it was a Christian home, but um, my dad was involved, did the men's Bible study retreats and stuff. Um, But once I got to junior high, for whatever reason, me and my family, we just stopped going. Um, I still don't know what had happened, but at that time, we just, you know, just stopped going. And I think that was like a key point in the direction that my life was headed. I think at that age, when you're in junior high is a good time that kids need to stay in church and stay in the word because it's the time that those friendships are established that uh, can determine the type of stuff that you'll be exposed to once you get older. And so when I did get to high school, um, my friends were all the party kids drinking and, you know, partying every weekend. Um, I always considered myself not that bad of a kid because all my friends, they started uh, partying and drinking and smoking when we were 14. 
and I held out till I was almost 16. So even though it sounds crazy, I like really thought, you know, I didn't think I was as bad as them. I thought that, you know, I was just fine. I didn't disobey my parents, but, you know, I still had got into some stuff that, you know, a 16-year-old shouldn't even, you know, be watching on TV, let alone seeing in their own life. Um, but it wasn't until after I graduated high school that stuff got really bad. Um, the drugs I was doing became more serious. My drunk nights became more of just a complete blur. My friends, you know, just treated me awfully. The guys I dated walked all over me. So it was just kind of one thing after another. And um, I should also mention I have two sisters. I have a younger sister who, by God's grace, continued to walk with the Lord even when our family just failed to. And um, an older sister who partied along with me. And I remember when I was 19... Uh, God called my older sister out of the lifestyle we were living. And um, I remember when she told me she was going to go to church with our younger sister, I was, like, devastated. Like, no, not both of you. Like, you know, me and my older sister used to give our younger sister a hard time because, you know, she went to church. So I was just like, oh, my gosh, now they're both going to go to church. And so um, if there was any way for my life to spiral more out of control, it definitely did. My rock bottom came, and... You know, it came fast for the next couple years. It just got worse and worse. And um, so my my older sister gave her life to God and never looked back. And it was a few years after that that um, she was getting married. So I was the maid of honor. And instead of being happy about it, I was just, you know, just ticked about the whole thing. It was going to be all these Christians at this wedding. There wasn't going to be any alcohol. I didn't want anything to do with it. And I just looked at my sisters as they were just, you know, they were a joke. All their friends were just a bunch of hypocritical Christians. And, you know, so I just, it just wasn't anything like a wedding should be. I didn't look forward to it. And um, so I remember the festivities um, leading up to the wedding. I was just dreading them all. And the rehearsal dinner the night prior to the wedding, I went and I met my partner in the wedding, who's my brother-in-law's best friend, Gabe. So I went, I was, uh, I knew that he had sang in the church and so I figured, oh, this guy's, you know, pretty godly, and I figured him to be the worst one. I was expecting all of them to be judgmental and just, you know, look at me like how I had looked at myself, which was just, you know, just like nothing. But um, to my surprise, he ended up being the one that had the most impact. But the, the kindness and the love that those people had shown that first night was just overwhelming. It was like nothing I had expected. But um, instead of embracing the love, that night I just brushed it off thinking like oh well they probably know I'm not saved they probably prayed for me before I got here they were probably like my sister's not saved you know we gotta pray for you know how we do that when we hang out with people that aren't saved we're like my sister's coming you know can we pray so I just brushed it off and I was like well they have to pretend to be you know nice so I went home that night and just forgot about it so the next day was the wedding I was just like finally this whole thing will be over I won't have to hang out with these people anymore And so that night at the wedding, um, everyone just continued to be so nice. And so, um, like, almost made me feel like I belonged, which was so weird. And so I almost thought it was genuine. But then, you know, the enemy just still had a hold, so I rationalized. Like, okay, well, last night they were nice because, you know, they know I'm not saved. And then I started thinking, well, maybe they think I am saved. Maybe that's why they're being nice. So, you know, to show Christians that you're not saved, what do you do? You get drunk. So I decided, you know, like, I'll just get drunk. I'll show them that this is who I am. And finally, they will just leave me alone. They will stop, you know, showing me love. I'll show them I'm worthless. This will be good. And so I got drunk at the wedding, and they just continued to be nice. I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, what, what is their deal? And so um, 
that next morning I woke up and I was just, you know, confused. Like, I don't know what was wrong with them, you know, but I'll just go. I'll go to Harvest. I'll check this church out. I'll see what the deal is. So I went to a Sunday night at Day 7 service. To my surprise, my partner from the wedding the night before was the guy singing up on stage. And I was just like, oh, this guy kind of is a big deal. You know, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what he, like, he's this big of a deal. He's this godly person. What was he being nice to the drunk girl at the wedding for? I was just, like, confused. And so I listened to the message and... Um, when he gave the altar call, you know, the pounding, that, you know, beating that you feel on your heart was just so strong and overwhelming. It was like nothing. I, I couldn't even argue. I had to get up, and I gave my life to the Lord that night. And, um, you know, he's, he's transformed me beyond belief. And after reflecting and, you know, just kind of going over my testimony, I realized that the night of the wedding, it was just, it was a big spiritual battle. You know, my soul was like crying for them to love me and make me, you know, feel like I belonged. But at the same time, my flesh was having me do these things, you know, so that they wouldn't, you know, so the enemy was having it so that these people wouldn't have a chance to love on me. But they were obedient to God, you know, God commands us to love one another, not to love people that are saved, but just to love everyone. And so, I used to think if they wouldn't have been obedient, I would have never got up and gone to church the next day. And so um, he, would, he literally, God was literally fighting for me that night. And because his people were willing to be used by him, um, he won. And so there's just two, um, two points that I want to make really quick of what it, was that I, um, what it was that I know brought me to the Lord. And the first one is the love of his people. And in John 13, 35, it says by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I think it's hard for us to realize sometimes that the way that we treat people really do matter, especially people that aren't saved. They're watching you. You know, they see your actions. And, I mean, they're rooting against you because I know I was. They want you to stumble. They want you to fall so that they don't have to change. You know, like I didn't want to change. If they, you know, would have done what I wanted them to do, I never would have had to change. I could have continued on in what I was doing. And it's so easy to become frustrated with those um, who aren't saved. And I know if the people at the wedding hadn't been nice and had looked down on me, I never would have seen what a real Christian was. I had a distorted image of Christians, but the people at the wedding, they were real and they were different. All they did was love me and care for me and give me a sense of belonging. It wasn't just um, it wasn't someone sharing a word or preaching. It was just someone loving. And I think sometimes we could get kind of, you know, like, well, I want to share this scripture and I want to do this and I want to do that. But if you're not doing it with love, it just, you know, it's you're, it's just a waste. And um, the other thing was the prayer of his people. First um, Samuel twelve twenty three says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. I know myself, it's hard and uh, it's easy to grow weary when praying for those who aren't saved. You could start feeling like it's a waste of time. Um, they're never going to get it because I know I still have people in my life I pray for every day. I'm like, they're not going to get it. You know, they're just not going to get it, but I really am proof, and I'm a product of prayer. I thank the Lord for those people, um, people that I didn't even know were praying for me. And after I gave my life to Christ and got plugged into Harvest, the amount of people that I have met that are like, oh, you're Andre and Jenny's sister. We were praying for you. We're like, for the first six months I met people, everyone just time and again, we were praying for you. We were praying for you. I was like, geez, I guess, you know, this prayer thing, it really works. And, you know, even me, myself, being a product of prayer, I still you know, fail to pray as much as I should. And I think it's hard for us as Christians to stay diligent in our prayers because it's the thing that works the most. And so, um, you know, I think um, 
prayer is one of the ways that God still performs miracles. My own best friend, uh, for me years ago, used to pray for me, not even knowing me and not even knowing that years later we would end up being best friends. So I just want you to know that your time in intercession does not go wasted. So stay faithful in prayer and just show the love of Christ. And in the Lord's timing, they will come to know him. And so now I just want to ask you that um, that person that I asked you to think about uh, before I started, um, did you pray for them this morning? Uh, Did you pray for them last night? How about when you're around them, do you show them love? Do you make them feel like they belong? Or do you just make them feel like the way that their actions show? Because when the enemy has a hold on those people, they're going to act any way to fight you off. So, you know, I just encourage you that um, we can't expect those people to come to know Christ if we're not praying for them and if we aren't showing them love. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just come to you as I reflect on my own testimony. I want to thank you for the people you put in my path that night. And God, just let us be peaceful people who are faithful to be used by you. God, help us to be diligent in our prayers and in showing others your love. Also give us the discernment to know when to share the word and when to just love on others. God, I just love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Long live the king, huh? Yeah, praise God. You know, um, I mean, the, the one thing that I really enjoyed and uh, when I first met Bridget, you know, I just, uh, it's just a, there's a sincereness and a uh, I don't know, realness. I don't know if that's, that's even a word. It's like just the real deal, you know, just like um, reminds me of one of my buddies back east. His name is Reynolds. And I remember when um, when I was in Mexico with him, I spent a lot of time there and we sat under this pastor and. Um, I remember him saying like, you know, we, we, we wanted to basically be baptized in the spirit and wanted to sense the spirit and feel the spirit. And, and, uh, Reynolds was a guy that was just like, if he didn't feel the spirit, he'd just tell everybody like, I don't feel it, man. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't feel, I don't know what you like. You say you feel the spirit. I don't feel the spirit. Like, what does it mean? How does that work? And, um, I always like that about Bridget. She's just, you know, real the real deal. It's like, you know, when something happens, when something genuinely real happens in life, it is real. And the things that she's experienced, it wasn't like, uh, I'm going to come do this Jesus thing because everybody else is doing it. Uh, I'm going to do it because it's the real deal for me because I need Christ and I'm willing to lay down my life for him, turn towards him completely. And that's, uh, it's always awesome to hear her insight on things like discovering grace and new insights in the word of God, because, uh, it just brings me back. Um, it's so easy to be uh, get caught up in this Christianese and get caught up in this, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just this flow of Christianity that just everybody's in and you kind of just go through the motions and do the same thing and you forget about how fresh God can be sometimes and how real he can be sometimes. And it's always great when someone who is the real deal walks in and basically just says things real and plain and... Uh, and focus, and so praise God for Bridget and the work that God is doing in her life. And I believe there are many here tonight who God is doing the same. And uh, harden not your heart if you hear the voice of God. Open your heart and receive Him and walk in newness of life. Don't allow the enemy to rip you off. Um, God wants to do a work in you. Don't go through the motions. If you don't get anything about 
from tonight's Bible study? Be honest with yourself. I didn't get anything. I don't feel the spirit. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I got to get this right. I can't stand being the same. You got to be real with yourself. Don't go through these motions. Don't convince yourself you're right with God because you go to church, because you sing a song, and because you know some Bible stories. Don't do it. You've got to be right with God. You've got to be close to Him, sensing His Spirit, knowing His heart. It's got to be the real deal. Because when you get to heaven, it doesn't matter if you went through the motions, does it? God says, I saw all your outward stuff. I saw this man pajama. That was good. That was good. No, it wasn't. Because I saw straight to your heart. And I saw exactly where you're at. You can put a front on for everyone. You could even fool me. Yeah. Easily. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. So I hope you've come here not for girls tonight, guys. Girls, I hope you've not come here for guys. I hope you come here for the word of God. I hope you've come here to draw close to him. For that reason and that reason alone. Amen. And Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have changed many. And that you are a God who pulls through. That you are a God who delivers. That you are a God who saves. You've come here tonight to save your people from whatever's going on in their lives. And I pray, God, I pray that many would turn from their wicked ways, begin to seek your face, humbling themselves, turning to you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to Jeremiah chapter 35. Jeremiah chapter 35. Jeremiah, if you haven't been with us here in the study, Jeremiah has been one who what? Is a prophet of God. He is one who, remember, was not the most popular prophet. He is not the most uh, radical prophet. But he is definitely probably the most consistent prophet there is. Why? Well, remember, he started at a young age. Uh, He was scared because he didn't know what to do back in Jeremiah chapter 1. Do you remember? He's like, God, I'm a child. I don't know what I'm going to say to the people. He said, nope. I have ordained you and sanctified you and anointed you before you were even born in your mama's belly. I ordained you as a prophet for the nations. And God said to him this, you will speak my word. You will not be scared of their faces because I will put my word in your mouth and you will speak and they will hear. And he preached for how many years? How many years? 42 years. Yes, James, 42 years. And how many people came to know Jesus? How many people repented to God? None. Not even one. Wow. He was faithful till the end. He was faithful. What has God called you to do? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing? What is your ministry? What are you called to? Are you a prophet to the nation? No, not me. Why are you scared? You scared that God can't use you because what? You're too young? 
because you don't have enough information? What's the reason? Why aren't you serving at your church? Has not God called you to ministry in some way, shape, or form? What is your ministry? What do you do week after week, month after month? What's going on here? I know one place that you're called to minister, one place you're called to offer, that's in your tithes and offerings. Did you know that? 10% belongs to God. Did you know that? Yep. You know what percent of the church, my church tithes? You know what percent? They say somewhere between 10 and 20%. That's ridiculous. That upsets me. It's like, don't ever let me get on that pulpit and that sanctuary because whoa the hammer is about to drop because you know what god says in malachi you have stolen from me they said where have you stolen from you god where have we robbed you you have robbed me in your in the tithes and offerings simple things in life that we are called to do that we must do that's a word for many of us in this room tonight i believe it there are many of you calling to be in the children's ministry do you know that at your church Called to be an usher. Yep. Called to be a greeter. Uh huh. Called to clean the church. Yep. Called to just serve. Go up to your pastor and say, How can I serve you? I'm ready to serve you in any way that you need because I need to be ministering. There are many of you that are called to lay hands on people and pray for and encourage people. Do you know that? What is your ministry? What are you to be doing? Jeremiah had a ministry. You know what he's called to do? Preach to people that would never repent. What a job. He did it faithfully. Did it till the day he died. What a powerful work. We're going to look at a man who will preach once again to the nation, to the people tonight. And it will come in a different way than I've ever seen. Very interesting way that God is going to speak to his people tonight. Look at Jeremiah chapter 35 starting in verse 1. Are you there? The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, so here comes the word of the Lord from God to Jeremiah, go unto the house of the Rechabites, speak unto them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. Huh? (laughs) Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that too. Interesting. Did you hear that? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and what was he to do? He was to go and to get the Rehoabites, bring them into the house of the Lord, and give them wine. What's going on here? Well, take a look at verse 3. Then I took Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaziniah and his brethren and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites and I brought them into the house of the Lord into the chamber of the sons of Hanan and the son of Igdaliah, a man of God which was by the chamber of the princes which was above the chambers of Mayasira, oh, I can't do that one. Mayasira, Mayasira, yeah, the son of 
Shalom, the keeper of the door. And I said before the sons of the house of the Rechabites, pots full of wine, I placed that, I'm sorry, I set before them, pots full of wine, cups, and I said unto them, drink ye the wine. What's going on here? God tells Jeremiah to bring these people, the Rechabites, into this house and to set wine before them and tell them to drink it. Isn't this crazy? It's like, what's going on here? When I was reading this, I'm like, Father, I can't wait to get to the commentaries because I have no clue what you're doing here. Uh, what if I did that? I took you in a room. I said, thus saith the Lord. He was bottle wine. Pop the bubbly, drink up. You're just like, what? I'm not going to do that. Look what happens. He says, drink ye the wine. But verse 6, but they said... We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rahab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall not, or you shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. Neither shall you build houses, or sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have anything, nor have any but all your days, Ye shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you be strangers. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charges us, to drink no wine all of our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyards, nor fields, nor seed. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Stop there. So Jeremiah comes to them, takes them in the temple, sets them down and says, here's a bunch of wine. Here's a full pot full of wine. Drink up. Get drinking. Get drunk. Drink it down. And they say what? Absolutely not. We will not. Because our father over 300 years ago told us, over how many years? 300 years ago told us they are descendants from the man Jethro. Who's Jethro? It was Moses' father-in-law. Okay, Moses' father-in-law. They are descendants or related in some way to Jethro. Over 300 years ago, uh, Jonadab told them, or told his kids, you are not to drink wine, you are not to build a house for yourself, and you're not to plant and build a full vineyard and all that. You're not to do it. So he'd given his family three big rules there. No wine, no building a house, and no planting a garden. And they said to Jeremiah there in that room, since he made that Decision way back when we have chosen to keep it all of these years and our family keeps it keeps this word diligently We will not waver We will not do what you tell us to do interesting They have set this standard and they're walking in it isn't that incredible number one Just to see anybody stand for anything and be firm on it. You know what i'm talking about I was in fridays. I think two weeks ago you know, TGI Fridays, 
Love the Jack Daniels burger. It's my favorite. No, no, it's not what you think. It's this beautiful burger with this beautiful sauce, okay? That Jack Daniels sauce is just amazing, okay? It's not going to get you drunk. Don't worry. It's a beautiful burger. I would challenge you to eat one. Try it. I was there getting ordering my Jack Daniels burger, and there's that waiter. And uh, I said, you want to hear something crazy? She's like, what? I said, you know this little swine flu thing? You know how many people have actually died? And she looked at me and she said, I don't think that's funny. That's what I said to her. I said, you want to hear something funny? Yeah, that's what I said. I said, not crazy. I said, you want to hear something funny? And she's like, what? I says, you know, you know that swine flu that's going around? It was when it was all rampant and everybody's all crazy about it. Like, you want to know how many people have died? And she looks at me and just, I mean, stares me down. She's like, that's not funny. And I was like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I know that's not funny. This is what is. You know, that's when they were saying that 150 people had died and all this, and they were ranting and raving about it. And uh, in actuality, 100 people, 150 people had not died. Um, in actuality, only seven people had died which is not funny. But uh, what is interesting about this whole situation is, is the media was basically just just digging this up and making such a big deal about it. All the schools closed down. Everything went down. And I said, you know how many people die from the common cough to cold per year? Uh, 36,000 people. 36,000 people. And how many have died from this thing since it started? Seven. Seven. Seven, she just smiles and laughs. And I, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's why it's funny. Because everybody's all freaking out about it, getting all crazy about it. And it's no big deal. I walked into a Christian school just two days ago. Oh, no, yesterday it was. They have signs posted everywhere. Swine flu, be careful. Swine flu, be careful. I'm just like, you should be careful about the common cold. If you see somebody with a common cold, you better run for your life. And I think now it's still only recorded. I don't even know if there's more than even 50 people have died from this. It's ridiculous. You see how the media can just do whatever they want to you? Open your eyes. Recognize the facts. Now, what am I trying to prove here? After she walked away, I looked at the guys that were sitting there at the table. I said, did you see that? Did you see that? She made a stand for something. She was willing to completely offend me. But she made a stand for something. I said, you want to hear something funny? You know how many people have died in the swine flu? She looks at me and says, that's not funny. She was willing to stand for something that she was, had conviction on. And it blew me away. I don't know if she's a believer or not. I don't know if she even knows God. But I was blown away at the fact that she just made a stand on something. Because peer pressure is absolutely amazing in this day. You know, the, the most waiters, you know what they would have done? They would have smirked for me and gave me a little smile and it would have been a little awkward because I could tell that they really didn't like what I had to say but hey they would have put on a pretty face for me and and because they want to get the tip and all that she just looks at me and says that's not funny I'm just like whoa that's awesome that's aw- I love that integrity standing for what you believe even if it's something wrong make a stand and be confident in what you believe if I wasn't a Christian I would mock Christians And I would tear down your faith as best I could. Why? Because I'm not going to let you attack what I want to do in life. Just like I will tear down 
the wicked ways of this nation as I make a stand for Christ. I love seeing people make a stand for anything, anywhere. Christians are such pushovers sometimes. You know that? It's amazing. It's amazing how, stay with me. It's amazing how when you're in a situation, I was even reading a, uh, a blog today about a pastor who he felt very guilty after he recognized in the beginning when he was with his wife, he used to talk openly and boldly about God like it was no big deal. But for some reason, as time went on, he started to get quiet about it. Like, you know, it's like, we're talking loud, we're laughing about this, and all of a sudden it's time to talk about God, and then it's like, you know, and and the Lord's doing this, and the Lord's doing that. It's like we're scared to be open about talking about God. That's a sad thing. To have conviction about anything in particular. These people here had conviction, didn't they? They made a stand for something, even though Jeremiah the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. Even though Jeremiah the prophet said, thus saith the Lord, you need to drink this wine. And they said, no, we will not because we are standing firm on what we believe. What is even something more incredible about this story? This is it. How many years had passed by? 300 years. How many families is that? It's probably like, what, four, five, six generations or something it's quite a few isn't it absolutely incredible that they would make a stand generation to generation to generation because their great 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 grandpa said we will not drink wine we will not build a house and we will not build a garden now why am I saying all this because I believe that Jonadab made such a stand for God. Please stay with me. Please. I know there's distractions. Just please stay with me. It's an absolutely incredible thing when a father makes a stand within his family and says, we, our family, and anyone who bears this name anyone who is a part of the Rechabites nation, family, we will not ever drink wine. We will not ever build a house. And we will never plant a garden. When a father makes a stand for something so strong that it lasts 300 years, that's an incredible thing. And we, this generation, are to be so bold and proclaim such truth within our families that it would last 300 years. We've got to make that kind of stand. Can you imagine what that takes to make that kind of stand? Do you think that the dad just said one day as he was sitting there, hey guys, you know, it's dinner time tonight and you know what, I just got this idea. Let's not drink wine ever again. And um, you know what? Don't be building houses and uh, no gardens. You think that's going to work? You think that's going to instill these rituals into your family's life? I don't think so. Ain't going to happen. He's got to be conviction, doesn't there? Hey, every single day, I bet father, maybe he had it carved into the tent. Maybe he had it painted on the tent that they lived in, as they went from place to place, as no place was their home, 
but they're ready to move continually. Every single time they put that tent up, it said right there on the top, no wine, no house, no garden. And they saw it every single day, every single day, every single day, their entire lives. It was in those kids. If there was anything that they knew, they knew that they were to pass this on to the next generation. You know what the sad thing is in the Christian church? Many parents take their kids to church because they think it's good for them. Many parents do not disciple their own kids at home. They take them to church to have other people disciple their kids because they do not even desire. Maybe they desire, but they just don't put forth the effort. You understand? It's amazing how the Christian church, even in America today, what society has taught you is that you need to make sure that your kids, you got to make sure, you have to make sure that your kids are what? Educated. I mean, that is like the biggest thing. You got to make sure your kids are what? Potty trained. (laughs) I don't know. There are such things that we have set such high standards to to make sure that our kids pass these things on and know these things. Make sure you teach them certain things so they can pass it down from generation to generation. Isn't it amazing what effort we put forth to make sure that uh, well, when we have kids one day or what we see parents doing, it's amazing how this generation will do that and how generations of the past would. But it's amazing how Christians do not pass on this thing of the Lord, this seal upon the forehead, this raising the house and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anything, if your kid is not educated, but he loves Christ with all of his heart, praise be to the Most High God. If the kid's not potty trained, but he loves God with all of his heart, my gosh, praise be to the Most High God. I mean, you know, it's like there is nothing greater in this life. There is no greater gift that you can give your children one day, family. There's no greater gift than passing on Jesus Christ into their lives. Do you know that? Laying down your life every single day to make sure that they know Christ. Every single day riding on that tent. Every single day in the morning when you wake to pray and to read them and teach them the scriptures. Every single day when you go to bed. Every single day when you rise and when you sit down on your doorposts in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Everywhere it is the word of God. Raising the child in the ways of the Lord. That is what we are called to. Man, I hope, I would love to be able to stand here. 20 years from now. And as many of you will probably still know me, maybe. Maybe you hear me preach still, some way, shape, or form. And I hope that I get to boast in my family that they know and walk with the Lord closely. And that I've done everything that I've told you to do. And that I'd be able to rejoice and say, man, for 300 years, this truth will pass on from generation to generation. My family will stand for the Lord because one ham, one man, one hand, one person from day to day reached out 
Jonadab, Joshua, Michael, Tyler, making a stand in such a way that impacts the lineage for hundreds of years. Some will be alcoholics, and that will impact their family for hundreds of years. Some men will chase women and teach their boys to do the same for hundreds of years. I believe David, do you know King David, the man after God's own heart? You know how many wives he had? He had something like, what is it, Ty? Eight, nine? He had uh, something over seven, eight wives. I can't remember. Something like this. You know how many wives his son had? 700. Solomon. Be careful what you pass on to your family. If you don't disciple your family, someone else will. If you don't raise them in the ways of the Lord, someone else is going to raise them. The school will raise them. The teacher will raise them. Did you know that? Their friends will raise them. You've got to take ownership of your family in such a way. You cannot be slack in these things. You must, with all your heart, prepare yourself now or nothing will happen. You must purpose in your heart now to make a sin. No wine. No building a house. No garden. We can take those things and apply them spiritually. No wine. Something that definitely distorts the mind, right? Hey, a glass of wine, what, is that going to get you drunk? Probably not. Maybe for some, who knows. But hey, you kick back a few and you get drunk, it distorts your view of God, your direction. It distorts things in a moment and in a situation. You cannot act correctly. That is the reason. That's why it's wrong. It's because it causes you to sin. It causes you to lose control of yourself. And you were to have self-control. You were to have a sound mind. And you'll find yourself falling into sin and doing things you wish you would have never done. And the same is true with many sin in life, isn't it? It's true. Just like wine, just like anything that you fall into, it distorts your mind. Any kind of sin that starts to creep in, it ruins things. It messes you up. It gets you off track. And so to apply it to your life spiritually and say, hey, there will be no wine or no sin. We are going to try our best to have no sin in this house. It's going to be clean. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's amazing how parents, I can't believe it. At the church, we counsel, and um, parents will come in with their kids, and uh, they'll be like, you know, I want him to come to church, but he doesn't want to come. Huh? Does he live in your house? Yeah. Yeah, I want him to come to church. Why doesn't he come? Because he doesn't want to. Who's the parent here? Your kid is making decisions for you. I remember my dad used to say all the time, as long as you live in this house, son, you abide by these rules. 
And if you want to leave, son, you can. I don't want you to leave. But to make a stand in the home for Christ is crucial, whatever it takes. And one of the pastors at the church, he's been a, uh, he, was, he was a policeman for a long time. He was even saying, like, the, the legal rights that you actually have as a parent, as long as they are in your house and under your rules, they have to listen to everything that you tell them, um, everything. They have to. And uh, if they don't, then you can k- just kick them out. And uh, if they try to come at you in any way, he just said, you take them down. <laughs> he said that, and I was like, really? I don't want to take my son down. I hope it would never come to that. But he said, parents don't think they have rights in these days. They're scared of their kids. But you want to know, how does that happen? Because when they're young, you must teach them. You must raise them in the ways of the Lord. You must discipline them. You can't compromise on anything. You don't waver on anything. You can't change. One day, if they do something wrong, you spank them for it. The next day, you let them get away from it, get, get away with it. You can't do that. The standard has got to be the standard. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bottom line. And you've got to understand, just as many of you in here understand, that your parents weren't being jerks when they were enforcing rules, were they? No, they're actually trying to help you, huh? They're trying to help you. They're trying to open your eyes. They're trying to help you to be, hey, a disciplined person when you work one day and you have a job. If you don't know to be disciplined in your own house to your own parents, how are you going to work for a boss? If you don't know how to be polite to people, you're going to be a jerk out there in the world and people are going to hate you and not want to be your friend. You see, your parents are there to inflict good instruction upon your life. And you, family, have got to prepare yourself to inflict good instruction. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There will not be sin in this house. And you have to live it, huh? Because, hey, I love it when I see the little baby, three or four years old, call out mommy or daddy because they're not doing what's right. Mommy, smoking's bad for you. That's right, preach it. But that's the saddest thing when the children see fault in their parents and they don't even want to be like them one day. Three questions. You need to be able to ask your child and they need to be able to say yes to it immediately. Three questions. And if they answer yes immediately, you have complete power and control in their life. Number one, you ask your daughter or your son, son, do you know that I love you? If he answers yes immediately, you're doing good. Number two question, son, Do you know that I love your mother? If he answers yes immediately, you're doing good. Number three, you ask, son, do you want what me and your mother have? If he answers yes immediately, you have complete power in their life. And you can speak right into their life. Say, son, I love you. You know that I love your mother. And we have established a home for you because we want you to desire what we we have. And you do desire that. And so please, I instruct you in the name of Christ Jesus to do this and this and this. Listen to your parents. Honor your father. Don't rebel against me, son. You see, no wine 
We will not compromise, making a stand. What's the number two here? No house. We're not going to build. That means you can't, have, you can't buy a house one day, Josh? Wrong. The tent signifies that they are sojourners, that this place is not their home, that, hey, your kids can see that you have not planted yourself. This is not your life. Your life is heaven. Your life is Jesus Christ. Your life is God. And hey, if the house burns down, who cares? It's all right. For our treasure is not here. We're moth and rust, eat away, and we're thieves break in and steal. No, our treasure is in heaven. And so, hey, materialism isn't a big deal here within the family. That needs to be evident in your family's life. Letting them recognize that this is not our home. And hey, if we have nice stuff today, but we don't have it tomorrow, no big deal. We still got God, and that's all that matters. You understand? We need to walk through this life as sojourn. You know this is not your home. You know that, right? This is just, you're only here for like this much. Here you go. Here you go, a little bit of time. You're only here for this much. How long 70 years compared to eternity? 70 years compared to eternity? Well, how long is eternity? Let's, let's, it's like 1,000 years times 100,000 years times a million years times a billion years times a trillion years times a zillion years times 10 zillion years times a hundred zillion years, times a thousand zillion years, times a million zillion years, times a billion zillion years. (laughs) You see, how long is that compared to 70, there you go, 70 years? Well, that's not very long at all, huh? No, we're just passing through, man. And we get so focused on this life and so focused on our car, so focused on our house, so focused on the things that we have. We lose it, we get so bummed out, huh? We lose some money, we get so bummed out. Hey, it's not about this place. When you have a a heavenly perspective, everything in your life changes. Hey, so number one, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Number two, hey, this house, family, we need to move, we could move at any time. Because, hey, we don't need this house. All we need is God. And number three, the garden. We don't need a garden. We don't need a garden. You don't trust in yourself to work a field and to see sprouts come up and to see food come forth. You do not trust in you. You don't need a garden. You trust in God, who is the one who will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He will take care of you. Don't worry. You don't need a garden. Where am I going to get food? God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to be there for you. Do you hear it loud and clear? You've got to show your kids one day, family, so that 300 years it would pass on. You've got to show your kids that you don't rely on yourself. You trust in God from moment to moment. And hey, when hard times break out, hey, when the rent's due and you don't know what to do, the family gets together, we've got to pray. Come on, everybody, on your knees. We've got to pray. We've got to ask God to provide for us money because that's the only way it's going to happen. You show them that that's where everything comes from. 
You help them to understand that you rely on God and God alone and not yourself. You got that? You understand that? This is crucial. The next generation will not be changed unless we establish these truths in our lives. I want want 300 years at least, Father, please. If Jesus doesn't come back 300 years, please, Father, at least. Let my kids be impacted in such a way they would radically change the face of their generation. They would make a stand. And when someone comes, offers them wine, they say, absolutely not. Someone says materialism. They say, get that out of my face. Someone says, man, I want to give you a bunch of money. You're not going to have to worry about anything for the rest of your life. You say, man, I rely on God and God alone. I don't need your money. Reminds me about a man by the name of uh, Chuck Smith. Yes. You know what happened? Chuck Smith is a pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. You know what someone did? They came up and tried to give him a million dollars. You know what he said? I'm not going to take it. I appreciate your heart, but I'm not going to take it. Because what he had seen is basically he felt like this guy offering the money or giving it in some way, shape, or form was wanted to take the glory for himself. I gave him a million dollars. Not going to do it. I don't know if Chuck was thinking that some of the glory, he might try and take it for himself or all this money. It's just like, I'm not going to take it. That's power. That's what it's about. Family, can we be that? Can we make decisions in our hearts even here in this moment? Not to be brothers. Not to be that father that just sits at the table and just like, you know what? If you're a Christian, act like one. You don't sit at the table and, you know, guys, be good if you follow God. You know, go to church on Sunday. We have got to be men that stand for righteousness in our home. And who set an example, right? We've got to live it, huh, guys? We can't just preach it. We've got to live it. We've got to be the example. No talking, only acting. When you act, then you talk. There are many of you in here who don't have kids yet. So you're off the hook for now. But you're probably going to have kids someday. When you do, you better be ready. You'll be held accountable for your family. The father is the priest and pastor of his house. Yes. So, these re. Choahites, is that what they are? Ah, Rechabites. Rehoahites. Rechabites. They said, no, Jeremiah. No, we will not do it. We will not do any of those things. But look at verse 11. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylon, came up to the land, that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans. And for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwelt at Jerusalem. So, basically he just said, you know what, the whole reason we're in Jerusalem is because when the Babylonians came to take over and kill everybody, we just took our tent and ran. They're in Jerusalem, that's exactly what they did. And look at verse 12. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, so here comes the word of the Lord a second time to Jeremiah. Look what it says. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to hearken unto my words, saith the Lord? The words of 
Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this they do not, they drink none, but they obey their father's command. Notwithstanding, I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but you hearken not unto me. I have sent also unto you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Return ye now every man from his evil way, and amend your doings, and go not after other gods to serve them. And ye shall dwell in the land which I have given to your fathers, given to you and to your fathers, but ye have not inclined your ear nor hearkened unto me. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people had not hearkened unto me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah, upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the evil I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not Heard, I have called unto them, but they have not answered. Listen, this is what happened. God had Jeremiah bring these guys into the room, the Rechabites. He had him bring him into the room. Why? He brought him into the temple, he poured him wine, and they said, We will not drink it, and we have kept the word of our fathers. Over 300 years, we have kept these words. We have kept these commands. He brought them in there to set an example for Israel. Because this is what happened. Jeremiah then is sitting there, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And God says, look at these guys, Jeremiah. Look at them. They are not even my people. They are not Jews. They are not even my people, and they have kept the word of their father. He says, now go into Jerusalem. Go to the Jews and tell them, look at this family here. They are not even under my covering. They are not Jews. They are not my people. Yet they have kept the commands of their fathers. I have given you so much, yet you do not keep my commands. The perfect illustration is this. Look at the Muslim faith. How do many bow five times a day. They do not even walk with the true and living God, yet they bow. How many Christians bow five times a day? Interesting. Why are Mormons so zealous and would go on a missionary trip for two years, almost every single one? Yet it's like pulling teeth to get a Christian to go out of the country. What is going on here? They don't even have the true father. Yet they keep his commands for over 300 years. We have the living God. Our father who is in heaven. Who has given us so much yet we keep not his commands. What is going on here? There's something wrong. And it is, it is true, it is what is wrong with the Church of America today. We take advantage of our God. And so God says here in the end there, did you see that? He says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, verse 17, the God of Israel, Behold, 
I will bring upon Judah and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them. Because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard. I have called unto them, but they have not answered. God is calling unto this nation even tonight. You. He is calling unto you through his word right now. He says, I call unto you, but you do not hear me. I speak to you and it goes in one ear and out the other and you live completely contrary to what I ask you to do. You drink wine. You build houses. You make your gardens. I've asked you specifically not to have sin in your house. I've asked you specifically to make me your God. Do not make this earth, this world your God. I have told you that I will provide for you every single day, yet you worry day and night whether or not I will pull through and you complain to me. God is speaking clearly to us tonight and the nation will not hear. Oh, let it not be so. Oh, let our ears and our eyes be opened even in this moment. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this crazy? We have found the truth in the living. Did you know that? As I was in Tim's house last night and we were speaking to them, the nicest people, the nicest people, probably some of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life, we came in there and they were so gracious to us, so sweet to us. They cooked us dinner. They fed us and they loved on us and they don't even walk in the truth. They don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Yet there are Christians everywhere who say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my God, yet act completely contrary to the way Jesus would act. Don't you praise God that someone came and ministered to Bridget and showed her the love of Christ? That she would come to know the Lord? But why are there so many Christians who are stuck up and arrogant and have bad days all the time and always jerks? Ooh, 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 man. It's amazing how even in business deals, yep, you know Christians are the worst people to deal with in business. Did you know that? You know Robert Hill used to come here and was here every single night with me. I stay over at his house and I worked for him. And he say, Josh, you know, like I love Christians, you know, but I don't, I won't do business with Christians because they never pull through. He says he's only found a few who really have integrity. And that is sad. Even when I've been in business deals before, when some guy's like ripping me off, like in an email or something, I'll just be like, man, if you're a Christian and you're ripping me off, I'm going to pray right now that God basically snatches everything from your life. Because you're being disobedient. One guy emailed back, Oh, man, I am a Christian. Don't call me out like that. I'm sorry. You know, like, I, I don't mean to be a jerk or all this stuff. I'm like, that's right, man. Don't call yourself a Christian. And walk. Con- do not. You are doing God a disservice. You are ruining it for everyone. Don't you dare say you're a Christian and go and drink wine. Get drunk. I'm not saying you can't have a glass. I'm not going to be legalistic about those things. But don't you dare go and get drunk. 
Don't say you're a Christian and go live contrary. Hey, everybody messes up, huh? And so if you mess up, don't make excuses for it to say, yep, I got drunk and I was completely wrong. And that is wrong and that is against God's way. And I have blasphemed my, my God because of that. And don't you ever go and do that. We fess up for the things that we do wrong. We're honest about them and we get moving back in the right direction. Don't justify your actions. If you're doing wrong, stop. And if you're doing wrong and living in it, don't call yourself a Christian. Go tell people you are not a Christian. Jesus says, you can call me friend if you do what I command you. Jesus says, many will call me Lord, yet will not enter the kingdom of heaven. God says, these people from another tribe are more faithful than even my people. This is ridiculous. And it is ridiculous in the church today. So look what God does in verse 18. Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according to all that he has commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, and the the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever." He basically gives some kind of blessing here, some kind of, I don't know what. I don't know if these people were brought into the kingdom of God because of this. I don't know what happened here, but some favor is given to them by God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that God would look at, what if through a prophet standing here today, God said the example, look at, Maybe you would take a Mormon into a room and pour wine in front of him and say, drink it. I will not drink it for anything. I will stand for what is right. And then that person comes out and God says, now go and tell the people that even a Mormon stands for this and you do not. We have got to make a stand for what is right. And we have got to make a stand for what is right within our families. We will lose the race. We've got to start now. So much work to be done. Can we not just make a stand for anything? Please make a stand for what is right and walk in it. If you're in sin, cut it off. Make a stand from now on and say, I am just, just you say it with your own mouth. I am not going to do that ever again. Go on record, make a stand and throw it behind you and walk forward. Is that not what these guys did? The dad stood up one day and said, this will not happen in my house ever. It will never happen. And that has got to be the word for our generation. We're going to make a stand. Amen? We've got so much work to do. We really do. And so, another amazing chapter in Jeremiah, the stories of the Bible. Mm. So rich and so satisfying. I've got to pray for you guys. Want to know Why? So you're going to walk out these doors and the enemy is going to stink and drop kick you as best he can. Try to stop you from walking in the ways of the Lord. And you're going to make stands for certain things and you're going to want to walk in them. The enemy is going to tempt you. He's going to put wine in front of your mouth. Do you know that? What are you going to do? 
Well, I'm a sinner, Josh. You know, I mess up all the time. You go with that attitude and you're never going to be a winner. Bottom line, continue in sin the rest of your life and be unsatisfied with yourself. Or you can say, I'm fed up with myself. I've come to the end of myself and I'm ready to make a decision to walk in it. And I will make that decision every day to walk in it. We've got to do it. We've got to make that stand. Not for legalism. Not setting up rules and regulations in your life that you can't keep. But for wisdom's sake. Because it is right. And it will only bring you blessings in life. You know what you need to do. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Do whatever it takes to get your life right with God. Amen? And we've got to go from glory to greater glory. No messing around. Could be in heaven in five days. Right? Yeah. Maybe on Friday. Be up in heaven, you know. Walking around. Told you so. And Father, oh, how grand it would be to be in your presence forever and ever. Can't wait, Lord. Lord, we desire to be ready and to cut off things. To make stands like this family did. Lord, 300 years. Oh God, please. I pray for this group that each one would make stands within their own lives that are so strong and so confident they would not waver even one second. Nothing would get in their way. There's no way they would compromise and whatever it is. Impurity, Lord. Sex before marriage. They would not compromise. Lord, in worldliness, in sin, blatant sin, they would not compromise. Lord, in slackness, in discipline, they would not lay their guard down. In spending time in the Word of God and staying focused in the church and ministering to people, they would not lay down their swords. They would make decisions that would literally last for 300 years. Father, let it happen tonight, we pray. I pray for every single one as the enemy comes that they would be able to rebuke and walk away from the temptation because you've given us the strength to overcome it and walk in this newness of life. Oh, please, Father, help us to make radical decisions for you and for your glory and for your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, family. want the best for you. Don't come here to beat you up and knock you down. I come here to build you up and to bless you. I hope you're blessed. Um, walk. Leave this place in the name of Jesus Christ, furthering his kingdom wherever you go. Loving on people. Setting that example. Amen? We've got great work to do. Maybe in heaven in five days. Get ready. I'll see you guys next week. Lord bless you.